Okay, so today I'm happy to welcome back on the show, because it was only a couple of months ago that we spoke, Marie Flamon, who is CEO of Near Foundation. Welcome back, Marie. So, I mean, it was a great interview we did last time. It ran for just over about half an hour. I highly recommend you revisit that if you'd like more context on Marie, but also the journey, her journey uh, as CEO at Near and all the kind of progress that they've made. This episode is going to be much, much more focused. It's going to center around the fact that I'm happy to say that we are collaborating on a program. So it will be Near and Outlier Ventures Basecamp. We'll revisit some things relative to, I guess, our history and uh, a little bit about Marie. But again, if you want a deeper dive, go back to the previous episode. And we're going to focus much more around, I guess, this evolved um, vision for Near, which is uh, away from just being considered a layer one to a blockchain operating system, an OS, and something that if you stretch can kind of take you into this direction of a super app or an app chain for app chains. Um, had a recent conversation with Ilya, I think, yeah, after we had our interview and he kind of he kind of spoke about you could consider Near as, uh, as a, a super app, but a super app for super apps that could be replicated. So I think that's really interesting concept obviously app chains being a a big topic of conversation and something that we consider the implications of in our recent paper uh, attack on the open metaverse and the fight back so maybe just quickly uh, marik if you could just explain what what you do um at near protocol as ceo so people can get uh, at least some context before we, we get into the weeds yeah, absolutely. So I'm the CEO of uh, the Near Foundation, which actually, which purpose it's actually to help the sustainable growth of the ecosystem, which is built around the Near technology. And so, what is in the Near technology? Uh, there is, of course, like a layer one, which is uh, a proof of stake, very scalable and very cheap and uh, extremely sustainable layer one. But there is also this evolution that you mentioned, which is the evolution in becoming a blockchain operating system. Uh, But the role I do is actually as CEO of the Near Foundation is how can we foster the growth of that ecosystem so that all the bits and pieces and the building blocks uh, are in place so that more developers and more builders can come on, more projects can thrive so that ultimately actually uh, users are using the technology without necessarily having to know what technology they're using because for users, we just need to solve real life use cases. Yeah, and you guys are making super traction in the developer community, a number of really exciting apps uh, going mainstream on the network. One of uh, several reasons why you know we felt uh, it was the kind of right time now to look at a collaboration at accelerating that ecosystem. Quick summary for those that don't know, you know, Marika is a French-born computer engineer, worked all around the world at a diverse group of companies ranging from LMVH to Boston Consulting Group, uh, ExpediasHotels.com, um, and then perhaps more relevant, uh, the kind of crypto giant that is Circle. You are um, recognized in a number of lists uh, in fintech, in particular women in fintech, power lists for 2017 and 19. Yeah, you were also CEO of Metal, which I forgot there, which was uh, a kind of a subdivision of NatWest Bank, I think, here in the UK. Right? So really kind of solid background in fintech and much broader than that. Um, so maybe we kind of just pick up back onto this concept, this high-level concept of 
considering near as more than just a layer one, how if taken to its extreme, you could consider that in the context of a, of a, a super app or an app chain of app chains. And, and then we'll get into, I guess, the areas, the kind of five pillars I think we've got uh, that form our investment thesis for the accelerator, which of course are inextricably linked to areas, use cases, industries, which you think near is really primed to uh, to be able to kind of capitalize on. Yeah, and actually, actually, maybe to start that conversation, I'll start with a bit of history. So yeah. near started actually as an AI company, and the name near is actually because singularity is near. That's the origin of near. And when Alex and Ilya created near, their vision was imagine actually a super app that can build whatever apps people need in the world. And to do that, they needed to have, you know, freelancers and developers all across the world. And they also needed to pay those freelancers and developers all across the world. And so they had heard at the time of crypto to pay people. And so they started doing that and they realized very quickly that to do a $200 transaction, it was costing you like, you know, crazy amount of money. So then they thought, okay, hang on, that actually doesn't work. And turns out, micropayments, but being able to pay people at scale for the vision they had for AI was fundamental. So they went back to drawing board and said, okay, pause, we're actually going to do, we're, we're actually going to have to first look at this like blockchain thing and how do we solve that? Because not only is it expensive, but it's also unusable. It's like very, very complicated. It's not thought through to actually be very user-friendly. So they went back to the drawing board. Um, they interviewed a ton of different like protocols. And actually for those of you who are interested, I encourage you to look at it on YouTube. There is a whiteboard series where they basically interview like, you know, projects like Solana and, and Polygon and so on and so forth, and basically dissect to every bits and pieces, what is it and how things work. And what they did from that, they took the best pieces and they said, okay, we're going to build a layer one that actually is extremely scalable, super cheap and, and super uh, sustainable in its ethos and very, very usable, right? So by default, you have, uh, you have account naming that are extremely user friendly. Uh, and you have a bunch of things that are, you know, today starting to be on an Ethereum roadmap, but that, that have been thought through from, from the start. So that's the, that's the origin. Now, in progressing on that journey, the, the realization has been a few things. One actually, being just a layer one is an extremely crowded place, right? When you look at actually the landscape in 2022, I think it's over 150 layer one that exists and I don't know how many layer twos and so on and so forth. And the other realization is so like the end user doesn't care, right? Maybe in our crypto la la land, sometimes we care about that, but the reality is that the end user doesn't care. The end user wants something that solves a real problem and that is extremely usable and, and actually that can do great things. Um, and so Web3 at times is very, very, tribalistic, right? So you have like this layer one versus that layer one and so on. And what's actually needed is like, you know, putting all of that together and thinking more from a user perspective, how to bring it all together in something that ultimately is much more multi-chain, is very usable and so on. And hence why we said, okay, if we evolve this concept of layer one into something that's actually much more attuned to an operating system, hence why we call it the blockchain operating system, well, what is it that you need? You need actually components, this ability to go and fork and this ability as a user to also be true to the Web3 values, which is owning your data and owning your content and being able to port it from that experience to that experience. Hence, um, you know, this, this evolution in our story of our 
of being uh, from a layer one to actually being this blockchain operating system. Now, if you go today on near.org, you can actually start experimenting what that looks like. And so to give an idea of like a couple of you know features that, that will appeal immediately, one, in terms of login, Today, the, the Web3 login has been mostly a wallet, right? And actually, it's it's still it's still not there yet, right? Like, it's still cumbersome. And like, which wallet do you really trust? And, and we're still stuck in those login issues. So we've created something that's called Fast Auth. And it's actually faster as a login than anything in Web2. It's seamless in terms of, you know, user experience it gives you. And immediately, you can get it to Web3, right? So things like that make it immediately appealing. Another thing, for example, would be, okay, imagine, you know, a great application that's built on another chain, for example, Ethereum, but you, you want to bring that with a decentralized front end to like bring a new experience for it. Well, you can do that also with the blockchain operating system, right? So it's really about making the vision and the realization of Web3 come together, this idea of portability for users, but also this idea of like, I can fork and take and, and match code as a developer, and therefore I can develop way, way faster uh, anything that is out there. Hence why, you know, this concept of super, super app indeed becomes actually feasible and, and visible in particular on, on near. I've now had a flashback to uh, being on a Shanghai terrace. It sounds incredibly glamorous, to be honest with you. Um, a, a terrace in Shanghai with Ilya talking about Web3 and uh, AI and very quickly realizing that I should probably shut up um, <laughs> because you knew a lot more about it than me. Um, uh, I think I was a few beers in, so I was a bit a bit slow in realizing that this is something I pro probably should very quickly get onto a different subject. But it's interesting that, in a way, we're kind of coming full circle back to that premise, the premise of convergence, which is something that we, we, we've shared with, with Nir for some time. Obviously, you've got a maturing stack. As you said, the kind of goal is or could be that it could be complete in and of itself um, as, a, as a super app. But of course, um, it's still relatively nascent, like everything else, right? You know, there is no perfect uh, solution which has every element in place. But I think the premise is you've now got these kind of basic building blocks, these primitives that work, they've proven that they work, they've proven that they scale. I saw something... Uh, just recently flashed past my Twitter feed, which I think is um, the cheapest place to mint NFTs. Yeah. And so there's, there's like lots of proof points as to why there is going to be increased developer adoption of Nia. And so one of the four pillars is in improving that stack, that operating system by um, infrastructure, SDKs, middleware. Could you maybe talk talk through that a little bit? Yeah, and actually, so exactly your point, right? A lot of it is uh, being built and working construction. Now, the beauty of it is actually coming in and participating and building widgets on this blockchain operating system never has been easier. And we see like, we see thousands of it being created. Uh, and you can not only create something from scratch new, but you can also like take it, copy, paste, fork it, and just tweak it slightly a little bit, right? So that innovation uh, is becoming faster. I think for people also who are interested, uh, we have um, a community called DevHub who are also continuously listing things that actually would be cool if someone is thinking about that, right? In terms of infrastructure, it would be really, really great if we had you know, a better way to, I don't know, 
search for NFTs or even scale them because you mentioned it's like the cheapest thing to, to mint um, on, on near, but that's not enough, right? So there's like a ton of ideas on that. So because it's never complete, I think that's important to continue having these uh, building blocks on core infrastructure that enables others to actually bring on more uh, basically for, for uh, yeah, more volume. And that's interesting that you've, you've got this developer forum which is almost like a rfp you know request for proposal right you know there are there are lots of talented technical people out there or commercial people you know and they're they're looking for the next thing to work on to build on um and it can be quite daunting sometimes you've got a blank piece of paper well you know what what do you do um so that could be a really good starting point you know you also have a very healthy grants program i know you do hackathons and stuff like that i think the difference here is that look and hopefully some of the teams that have come through the grants program go on to mature and become startups that we can work with in the accelerator but there is obviously a difference between a proof of concept and a hackathon and an investable scalable startup right and i think that's where that's the purpose of the accelerator so you have grants programs to help people in those very, very early stages play around and create a concept. But really here, we're looking at kind of taking taking those and then turning them into high-growth startups. Yeah, absolutely. And look, that's also a realization of 2022 is that it is not enough to have just grants, right? Because actually what is needed, even it's not enough to just have a hackathon. And, and one could argue that actually a hackathon are mostly for brand awareness because the reality is that people go they have a great time they might win something and they created something that's really mvp but it's not it's not investable it's not actually usable none of that and then the the road from this you know this is like the 0 to 0 0.001 but the 0, 0 one to one that's really hard and and that's where we're very excited about our partnership because having you know the hand holding having actually a place where you can actually ask for advice, having a place where you can actually listen, having a place where you can actually also have others who might be thinking of different things. Like that's the journey that is really needed because on on the internet today and, and on any, you know, chain and, and near is no a stranger to that, you can find almost any documentation you want for anything. You could literally chat to almost anyone you, you want, but it's not the same thing as being part of, you know, a cohort, a group, like being handheld and being like, because most, most of the entrepreneurs we see very often, we all have like one super ninja skill, right? One or two, but we don't have all ninja skills. And actually having someone who's seen more of it or, or can have also like this pattern recognition is extremely, extremely valuable. Um, and so therefore that's also why we're very excited to your point to do more than just like the, you know, the very grassroots, but to help projects become very successful, very fundable, and, and therefore like great successes. It's a total win-win for us, right? Yeah, and of course you need all, all of those things. I think you guys have done a great job of building this wonderful base of um, developers. And as I said, there's this growing ecosystem of apps and it's how we now catalyze the, the wider Web3 ecosystem and, and capital base around those that have the most promise. You know, typically in a program, we're accepting anything from 5 to 1% of all applications. So it really is, who are the teams that have the right mix of competency, the right product market fit, that have the most potential to kind of drive that network adoption of near or contribute meaningfully to its stack so more developers can kind of be be onboarded. Um, I'm going to get, I'm going to come back to the AI piece in a little bit, but I just want to kind of talk through this web 2.5 
concept because I think it's perhaps the more contentious one in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just released this open metaverse under attack and one of the considerations or concerns is could web 2.5 be permanent rather than transitory? Um, and so it'd be interesting to kind of get your perspective on it because we absolutely need to abstract complexity away. We need to deliver not just uh, comparable but better experiences for users. But at the same time, you know, that means that founders have to make difficult decisions every day. Maybe you could talk to how Nia makes those trade-offs less, you know, being able to truly realize Web3 or at least be on a pathway to realizing Web3. But at the same time you know, delivering a comparable experience, at least a, a comparable experience in a Web2 context. Yeah, and, and I agree. I think it's uh, very often, um, it is controversial, right? Okay, here's our, our point of view. The reality is, if you compare the n- number of users that are in Web2 versus number of users that are in Web3, it's like, you know, it's night and day. Like, it's it's billions in Web2, and, and it's, it's actually still in the hundreds of millions, fine, but it's like, it's still tiny in Web3. And so to get to ultimately to real adoption, somewhere, somewhere, this transition has to happen, right? And so the question becomes, okay, how does that transition happen? In a way, it make, it reminds me a lot of, you know, when stuff was not digitized yet and, and, and businesses were thinking, you know, oh, yeah, it's kind of on the side, right? I have, like, a, my innovation department, like, they're on the side, they're just playing around with tech, and then maybe one day they'll do something. Turns out, a couple of years later, like, boom, everything is just... Here with Web3, it's quite different because... The, the transition is not that easy in the sense that the values of Web3, this total openness, having users own their data can be completely alien to actually a traditional Web2 business, right? And the most success we've actually seen is with businesses who are, they're almost like perfect fit for Web3. I'll give you an example, Sweatcoin. Sweatcoin is an app, 150 million users, and, and you walk, you get a token, but that token was never... Web3. It was like a token, which is just like, you know, it's fictitious. And and a lot of their users were actually saying like, you know, when when crypto, when Web3, because it's like, it's almost, it's so prime for it. And even for, you know, even for that team, the experience of like, what does it mean to go Web3? It means different channels. It means engaging your community differently. It means becoming open source for a lot of things. And are you comfortable with that, right? So it's, it's not necessarily easy. Another example, Cosmos AI is a business um, that actually helped bring together buying online and actually buying in real store. And that use case I love because actually the founder and his team were having problems with their economic business model. And when they were looking at it, they were like, there's no way we're ever making money on that business because actually what's happening is the fact that Stripe is taking too much percentage of us everywhere. And so they started using actually near testnet and then they were like, oh my God, problem solved, right? And they were like, okay, if we can put that in, in mainnet, then we'll solve it. So I think those use cases are probably the best, right? When there is like a... And, and that for me is the tip of the adoption, right? Then same in, in, in gaming. I think in gaming, there's some really interesting also use cases that are almost prone for, for that. But to your point, it's a, it's a mindset shift. So the transition is much harder web two to web three than it was traditional retail to digital, right? I think it's like, because it requires you to rethink a lot of, a lot of things, right? Uh, but I think it's, we think it's needed. Like there is no way Web3 is going to be mass adopted if Web2 doesn't move on to Web3, right? Just mathematically, it's not going to happen, right? Yeah, and this maybe links into the, the third 
of, of the four pillars, which is um, real world use cases. You alluded to one there, which is linking um, on chain with physical in store. Um, something we, we kind of uh, we refer to as e-commerce, perhaps in an outlier. But so there's always been this promise of like, okay, at the moment, you know, DeFi is kind of like it's just on-chain games, right? And it's not really materially changing anybody's lives. It's not really um, a form of financial inclusion. It's for a you know elite of an elite group of web users, a very small percentage of Web3 users, which are already a very small percentage of the, the, the global population. And they're kind of just playing these financial games with one another. There's this whole narrative around refi, regenerative finance, which is much more than energy. It's about um, sustainable, regenerative economic systems. But a big part of that is, well, how do you link all of this stuff, all these financial primitives, these peer-to-peer markets to real world stuff? Um, so it'd be great to kind of hear a little bit more about how you you understand that category. Yeah, and actually building on what you're saying, I think it goes back to why does one build a product? You build a product because you want to solve a real problem, right? And I think it's too often in Web3, it's like cool stuff is being built, but it's because it's cool stuff, right? It's not because it's actually solving a real problem. And so the influx of talents we are seeing over the last you know, six to eight months is thinking totally different. It's thinking, okay, hey, problem, how do I solve? Okay, it turns out Web3 blockchain could be a tool to actually help me solve that problem, right? So I think that's where those, those things are really interesting. Look, here is what we see. We see a lot of um, problems to be solved in the, the loyalty space, right? Um, we hear that over and over from, from brands. And I think there's so many attempts at like trying to crack that problem, right? So I give something to my users. Do they really own it? Is it really portable? Can I actually also have it with like other brands? How do I do that? How do I engage more my existing users? Can I create a new line of business revenue for me as a business? Like those are the type of themes that we hear, which I think would fit definitely in the real use cases. I'll take a totally different track because you talked about refi. But for example, today, okay, we need to do ton of reforestation. Yes, we need to have like better transparency for carbon credit marketplaces, which, you know, crypto is actually great at that, right? You can say, okay, this carbon credit goes from here to there. This person is buying, like you can do it. But you can do also other things, which is what about the, from the moment the carbon credit is being created, can you actually trace that, have transparency on the, on a chain, right? This, this idea of like total transparency for, for assets and things that should be trusted, that's also a real use case. So that's what we mean by real use cases. I think it's thinking back to first principle, which a lot of people will recognize if you've, you know, tipped your toes into building something, you always start and a pitch to a, a VC is always the same thing. It's like, here's a problem, mega problem, and here's how we're going to solve it. And, and I think that's the mindset that's, we all need more of because, again, I think there's been a lot in Web3 of, like, as you said, like, you know, cool things for cool things for, like, farming, for doing this, what not, what that is. Is that solving a real problem? Not sure. So that's uh, the third of four. So we, we've covered infrastructure, kind of middleware. We've covered um, Web 2.5. Um, we've covered real-world use case and assets. And then the final one, coming full circle back to this AI piece, is... Um, Something given the team's background, and most of them, I think, were at Google and various other big tech firms. So they were solving, they were inside 
well, some of the biggest AI companies on the planet solving like very meaningful uh, problems and challenges. So I'd imagine that they'd have a very nuanced understanding and approach to Web3 and AI. I know a lot of people are coming into it now in, in a relatively superficial way. Okay, well, you know, you've got all these widgets and some of those widgets can allow you to, to do some generative AI stuff. And, and that's interesting. I don't want to dismiss that. We do want to see those kind of things apply. But I imagine you've got a, a, a more nuanced perspective on on AI and Web3 as well. Two things on that. So actually, um, Ilya is one of the co-writer of one of the, I think, most cited paper in AI, which is attention is all you need. Uh, so that's a good that's a good read. And um, I think we'll make sure we share also in the notes here. Um, Ilya wrote recently um, a blog post on exactly that, this intersection between AI and blockchain. And you're spot on. We have a more nuanced view, but also a much more pragmatic view. Right? What are the problems of AI that actually could be solved with blockchain? And I'll just, you know, shoot one out there out of many. But for example, we're now approaching very, very fast a world that can be completely DDoSed, right? So the reality is that you can create any content at any speed and, and it can look very, very true, but actually it's totally fake. And so that's kind of a problem. So, you know, you need to know origin and time creation of it and actually traceability, back to traceability, right? Traceability of how did this come to emerge and where has it been uh, since it's been created? Now, I think blockchain could be a perfect use case for that, right? So, and that's one of many things. And I think it's thinking through those, again, back to like, what's the problem to solve? AI is extremely powerful and can, you know, empower all of us to do better things faster. But equally, there is also some, you know, problems and dangers that probably can actually be solved and, and you know, at least attuned uh, with um, with AI. So I think we'll put that actually in the in the show notes because this blog post of Ilya actually outlines probably some good ideas for people who are thinking, okay, what is this intersection and, and how could we start thinking about maybe ideas to explore in, in that field? Yeah, and I think that's a great way of framing it in that, look, you know, there's clearly lots of opportunities here and that's what everyone's focused on, all the new things that they can do. But if you've been working in AI for a while and you have an understanding of Web3, you're going to see first, second order, third order effects of this stuff mainstreaming. So, you know, velocity of information and media um, is, is just like one example of that. Um, and again, something you're only going to have if you spent, you know, several decades thinking about the hard problems. You're kind of 10 steps ahead of, of, of the pack. So we'll definitely share that in the show notes. As I said, I'd highly recommend if you want more detail and background on both Marik and Nia, then go to the previous podcast. We'll put a few things in the show notes including the reference to both the previous paper by Ilya, but then also this recent thought piece. If you are thinking about applying, go to outliveventures.io slash Basecamp. Um, I think recruitment's now already live and will run for several weeks. And perhaps the kind of parting comment I'd say you might have something to build on it is, you know, a lot of the time we are we and our protocol partners are speaking to Web3 developers because there is a requirement to have a pretty good understanding, technical, theoretical, practical of Web3 technology to implement an application. I think the potential here is, is that we're speaking to founders generally. And so you might be an AI founder. You might not identify as a Web3 founder. 
But here is a stack of um, technologies that can help you solve for AI problems by leveraging Web3 technology whilst you're a relative newbie to the space. I don't know if there's anything you, you, you want to add to that. I mean, that echoes a lot. Look, there is also JavaScript SDK and a feasibility for anyone to actually participate. So, and back to what we've been talking about, usability, solving real problems. I think it's crucial for Web3 to evolve to also have that new talent coming in. So, you know, uh, it's going to sound cheesy, but whomever you are, you don't need to be Web3 native. <laughs> you know, I think we actually, it's the time now to build and to have like lots of different thought process coming together to actually get to the next stage of all this evolution that is needed for Web3 to really get to mass adoption. Great. Well, Marie, thanks for coming on again. Great to catch up and really excited to kick off this program with you. Same here. Super excited about the partnership. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3. 